Good morning. I want you to, to know that you are loved. Has anybody told you this morning you're loved? You want to be able to hear that from the Spirit of God every moment of every day. You want to know that you're loved, that the Father reaches his arms around you right now and loves you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one or both arms and just put it around you right now. And I want you to just say this with me, simply love. Simply love. When you begin to feel the flow of the love of God coming to you, you'll be surprised at all that God will wash away from you. Because the way that God works most is in the area of love. Everything God does, he does out of love. We don't always see it when it's coming, but when we look back, we see his love. Rita McPherson was here a couple of weeks ago from South Africa. Many of you were able to be a part of that, that conference we had. But Rita, uh, Rita told the story of, of being in Uganda ministering recently, and she said the lines were just, just overwhelming, and, and the drain on her physically and spiritually and emotionally, mentally were so great. She just felt just totally, totally without energy. And as the night was drawing to a close, a woman came up with a small little child in her arms. And she, she couldn't speak English, and she handed Rietta this little, this little child. And Rietta said, no, no. You know, Rietta said, honestly, in my heart, I, I just had had enough. I was tired. I didn't really want to hold the child. I didn't know what she wanted, and she kept insisting. And finally, I reluctantly took the child. And as I took the child, I heard the Spirit of God say, simply love. And I began to just rock the child and simply love the child, just hold the child. And after a few minutes, she said, I passed the child back. And the mother said, no. And I, I didn't know what the, what the mother wanted. Would she want me to keep the child? But I didn't want to keep the child, and I didn't want to do any more ministry. I was done. And I insisted on giving the child back. And finally, I just said, walk. Just go on and walk. And the interpreter interpreted that, and the mother took the little child and set the child down, and for the first time, that child walked. It had polio, you see. There wasn't anyone pronouncing healing over the child. It was simply love. It very well may be that the things that are keeping you back right now from the healing that you desire is simply love, the love of the Father. Being released over you and through you and on you is life-changing. And if we don't feel that love and if we don't understand that love of the Father, we're always, always trying to, to just manipulate the situation to make ourselves feel better or to try to explain away why something isn't working in our life. As I reflected on that story, I began to write a few things down I, I want to share with you. There they're actually kind of challenging things because of their depth. You might want to write them down. 
here's the first one. You have to be able to see what you cannot see in order to see what you can see. Now, on the surface, that may not make sense, but I want you to begin to see that which you cannot see. You cannot see how your life can be different. You cannot see how God can work, but you have to come to the place to where you can see in your spiritual man what you cannot see in your physical man in order to see what you can see. When God begins to open up the spiritual realm to you because you seek to see that which you cannot see, you begin to see that which God wants you to see. And once you see it, then you can begin to move in the realm of realizing that and that becoming a part of your life. Because right now, many of you have built a theology of unbelief. You have whole structures of thinking and reacting that are based on a theology of unbelief, what God can't do or won't do. What God can do for other people, but he won't do for you. And that is your life structure. And you've begun to see that to the point it has become a part of you, and that is how you operate in your realm, in the natural realm. You see, faith operates in a realm of the unseen. How can I see that which I do not see? I only can see it in the realm of faith. And when I enter into this faith realm, I begin to see that which God has for me. So the unseen becomes seen when you know what you're looking for. Let me repeat that. The unseen becomes seen when you know what you're looking for. It's weekly that someone loses something in this church. They lose everything. People will come up to us afterwards, have you seen my keys? Have you seen my phone? My Bible? My shoes? How do you leave without your shoes? We have children that are left in the nursery for sometimes eight to ten days at a time. We understand that. The challenging of parenthood is challenging. But the first question out of our mouth is always, what does it look like? If we're talking about your phone, what does it look like? Because people will leave phones around all the time and they'll come back for them. But some people lose their phones and will say, well, is it what color's the case and what color's the purse and the Bible and all those other kind of things? We love it when you lose things here because it, the staff gets to upgrade. Oh, here's a better Bible. Look at this one. Oh, it's got a name in it. We can take that out. Just kidding. But why do we ask what does it look like? Because we need to know what we're looking for. In the spiritual realm, do you know what you're looking for? If you don't know what you're looking for, you'll never find it. If you're looking for comfort, you don't find healing. You have to know what you're looking for. You see, your identity can only be found in God. If you're trying to find your identity in who you are, where you came from, what you do, what your net worth is, if you try to find your identity in any of those things, you will always feel bankrupt. You'll always be clutching for love instead of just allowing him to simply love you. 
It's, it's, it's a custom that we do when we ask people uh, after we get their name, we say, what do you do instead of who are you? Because identity becomes so such a forgotten thing in our society that do becomes everything and success becomes everything and who we know becomes everything instead of who we are. You see, identity is the biggest crisis we have in the world today. It's what creates terrorists. It's what creates gossips and slanders. It's what creates haters. It's what creates liars. It's, a, it's not understanding who we are. Once you understand who you are made in the image of God, created in Christ's likeness, a partner with God, an ambassador of his, you don't have to fool with any of that stuff. It's like eating chaff when you can have wheat. And we become satisfied with chaff that we never get enough of it, so we never get enough gossip, we never get enough self-affirmation, we never get enough lies, we never get enough, we never get enough because it's never filling us up. It's just taking up our time and giving us nothing in return. In Exodus chapter 33, we're going to look at a man by the name of Moses. We probably know him and we know some of what he did. He started life with a very bad identity. You see, they were wiping out all the Hebrew children in the land of Egypt. And his mother decided that she would hide him in a little basket and put him in a river until the, the, the times passed where difficulty would be. And what we find in his life is we find that, that he was hid. You see, before you can be found, you have to be hid. Now, just let that begin to sink in, and it's going to make more sense as we go down through this. But we see that at, in his birth, he was hid. Did you know you were fearfully, wonderfully made in your mother's womb, the Scripture says? You were hidden by God in your mother's womb. He knew your whole being. He knew everything about you. He knew what you loved and what you wouldn't love. He knew what made you happy and what wouldn't make you. He knew you, and he hid you away, and he prepared you over that period of time for the right time when you would come forth in life. Did you know that God even hides you in life? He protects you. He hides you in life. In Moses' life, we're going to see that he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. In your very life, you are hid. There are things that go on in your life that God hides you in and he protects you from. And, and life is a bit of a hidden moment, isn't it, in time? Because who really knows you? See, who really knows you? The, you we're not even sure we know ourselves, but God knows us and he hides that real us in him and he communicates with us. That's why when you lay in your bed at night and you are broken and don't know what to do and you are hidden, you are safe because you're with him because your life is hidden with him. And then even in your death, you're hidden. Moses, it says that when he died, that no man knows where he was buried, he was buried by God in Mount Nebo. So that nobody would go worship the grave of Moses. That wasn't important. He wasn't there anyway. You see, you're hid in Christ in heavenly places with him. The Bible says far above all principalities and powers in this age or in the age to come. He has hidden you. 
It says here in verse 13 of Exodus 33, now therefore I pray if I have found grace in your sight. This is what Moses said, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Consider that, God. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I'm going to go with you, I'm going to give you rest. If you knew that alone, wouldn't that be enough? God is going to go with you and he's going to give you rest all along the journey. But he goes on to say this. Then he said unto him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? You can only know grace when God is with you. You live by law if God is not with you. You read on with me. So ye shall be a separate, your people from I, from all the people are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I also will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Do you know that when he said, I know you by name, he said, I know you now have identity. Moses, you're not, you're not the forgotten baby in the river anymore. I, I think that's God's word for you today. Some of you need to hear this word. You are not forgotten. You were tucked away by God for a purpose, but you're not forgotten. Your identity is in him. Sometime back, uh, about a month ago, Tammy and I had the privilege to have dinner with a, a man who um, for three hours told us the miracle stories of the Argentinian revival. He was only 19 years old at the time. He, was, uh, he had just finished some theological training, and he was frustrated by what he experienced among those who were in the hierarchy of the church in that time in Argentina. And his frustration led him to despair to the point of almost despairing his very life. And he was there in Buenos Aires, and he was walking down the road. He was actually thinking about, should I take my life? I don't even know. I, d I just feel so helpless. Religion can do that to you if you didn't know that. Religion can take everything out of you and give you nothing back. But Jesus puts everything back that needs to be in. And as he was walking, he heard there was a stadium and something going on in the stadium, and he heard, he heard the voice over the loudspeaker, is Juan Carlos Ortiz in the house? He looked around, that was his name. Why are they calling my name? He heard it again, is Juan Carlos Ortiz in the house? Remember, he was on, he was despairing life. He was on his way just to, 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 just to depart from life altogether. And he walked into the stadium and there were people gathered there. There was an evangelist there by the name of Tommy Hicks from America. The year was 1954. Juan Carlos was 19 years old. And he said, I am Juan Carlos. He said, do you speak English? Yes. You will be the interpreter for Tommy Hicks in the crusade. A crusade that would begin in 1954, it would last, that moment it would last for 54 days. And over the course of those 50-some days, over 300,000 people came to faith in Christ from a man who lost his identity, became the interpreter. Tommy Hicks showed up in the country. He was a man, it was an unknown. He showed up in the country and with this in his heart that he was supposed to go speak with, with President Perón, the dictator of Argentina. 
He showed up at the gate, and the, at the gate there, the guard said to him, what are you here? He said, I'm come to see the president. He laughed. He said, why do you want to see the president? He said, I'm going to have a healing crusade, and I need a stadium, and he has to release the stadium. And he laughed. He says, can you heal? He said, I cannot heal, but my God can heal. He said, well, my leg is bad. Can you heal my leg? He said, my God can heal your leg. He reached down and touched his leg, and his leg was instantly healed. He says, come back tomorrow. I'll speak to the president. What Tommy didn't know was that President Perron suffered from uh, disfiguring uh, eczema and never left the palace. He was entered into, he was ushered into the president's quarters there, and as he went into the quarters there of the president, he noticed the eczema all over him. He says, can you heal me? He says, no, but my God can heal you. He reached up, touched him, and his skin became just like new instantly. He gave him all the stadiums. He gave him everything as wanted. Miracle after miracle after miracle stories. Two men without identities, but they had purpose from God. It's never an accident whom God brings into your life. It feels like it. It feels like a coincidence. Coincidence is human language for God's direction, God's appointments. It wasn't an accident that Juan Carlos came into our life. It's not an accident that he'll be speaking at our prophetic conference along with Sean Boltz, Kim Walker-Smith, and others. I mean, it's whenever God begins to move in these kind of ways, you want to position yourself in the right place. This week, uh, this week uh, our, our worship team had a, had a writing retreat. And Tammy and I got the privilege of just going up there and be with them for a few hours and listen to the, to the songs that are coming out of out of this body, and to see all the, the people that God had assembled for that purpose. So great to have you there, Will, as a part of that. Thank you for being there with that and, and others, and Melody and Whitney and Stephen and Jordan and Michael. Sound like romper room, doesn't it? Got all the names. But God doesn't bring those things together for no purpose. See, God has a purpose for you. God wants to reveal your identity through him so that you find worth in everything you do, whether you make a lot of money or you don't, whether your name is in lights or it's not, whether people know you or don't know you. God, you have identity apart from all that stuff. You are a child of the king. You were made in the image of the almighty God. You reflect. I look out at you and, and I look at everyone. I, it's always baffles me how everyone can look so different and there's only nine parts on your head. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Like ears, eyes, nose, mouth, you know, hair. And we all look different. But every one of us have a little different dimension of the character and the nature of God reflected in who we are. So you see God in everybody. His presence in your life is measured according to your capacity. You see, his presence can't go beyond your capacity to receive and carry his presence. What you have to do is increase your capacity so that his presence increases in your life. And we're going to show you how you can do that in a moment. You see, unbelief is really tied to insignificance. If you feel insignificant, Unbelief will always be connected to it. 
Because if I don't feel like I'm worth anything, then, you see, then my faith drives down to the ground. If my, if my worth goes up in the eyes of God, my faith goes up, and I say, no, I am a child of the king. I can ask for that. I can see God do that in my life because of who I am. Significance, what it does is it eliminates excuses in my life. I no longer get to make excuses anymore because, guess what, I am significant. And I stop building theologies of unbelief in my life, of what God can't do. We want to know what God can do. Think about this. You cannot see his glory apart from his goodness. Goodness is foundational for everything you're ever going to understand about God. If you don't get goodness right, nothing else in the Bible will ever make sense. So God began creation, and every day he said it was good, it was good, it was good, until he got to you and he said it was very good. And what's the first thing the enemy does? Satan comes, and he speaks to Adam and Eve, and he says, no, God is not good. If he were a good God, why would he keep from you that which is going to be best for you? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knows in the day that you eat therein, you will be like him. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. He is a bad God. And every accusation against God will always, somewhere along the journey, begin with these words. If God is such a good God, why does he, and then fill in the blank. The attack is always on the goodness of God, never on the love of God. The goodness becomes foundational. So watch what happens in this scripture. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And Moses said, please, show me your glory. Now that's what he asked for, but look how God responds. I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Show me your glory. No, you need my goodness. Because without my goodness, you won't understand my glory. Without the goodness, you'll misuse the glory. The glory will come back to you instead of to me. But if you know God is good, you'll never come to a point in your life where you say, why is this happening to me? You'll say, God, what are you doing with this to make me like you? Because every moment, every setback, every tragedy, every difficulty is an opportunity for you to understand the goodness of God and to move into the glory. Now perspective changes altogether. He said, I will be gracious to who I will be gracious to, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see my face and live. And what he meant was the human body, the physical frame, the mind, the will, the emotions, doesn't have the capacity while it's earthbound to see and take in the glory of God. One day you will. You'll see him face to face, Scripture says. But you have a transformed body. You're not limited the way you're limited now. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the greatness of God rouses fear within us. The greatness of God. It arouses fear within us, but the goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. See, if I understand the goodness of God, then regardless of what God does, it doesn't bring fear. He went on to say, to fear and not be afraid, that is the paradox of faith. To fear and not be afraid. We often ask for what we lack the capacity to receive. God, give me this. And under his breath, he's saying, you don't have the capacity yet. 
But if you want the capacity, I can expand your heart. You see, your physical heart is one thing, but you have a spiritual heart. Your physical heart can move in shape and size a little bit, but your spiritual heart has no walls that are fixed. Your spiritual heart can expand and take in more and more of God throughout your lifetime to the place to where you can come closer and closer from glory to glory to glory until finally you're in glory. You cannot bypass the foundation of God's goodness and ever find the glory of God. God is good. Bill Johnson put it like this, his goodness is not a token act of kindness, but instead a picture of God's overwhelming pursuit of humanity that he might show us his extreme love and mercy. If we're all really honest, we are, all are really thanking God we're just alive. Because we know who we are when we're all alone. We know what goes through our mind. We know the ups and downs. We know the critical spirit. We know the mean. We know the sin. We know all that stuff. We're just going, God, how can I ever be critical of anyone? Look at me. You've been so merciful to me. See, the goodness of God allows me to accept everything in you that's wrong and love you. That's how you bring heaven to earth. The goodness of God, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. If he loved you when you were a sinner, how much more does he love you now that you're his child? That's how you bring heaven to earth. The goodness of God, when I see the love of the Father, he says, now do that. Do that. I love the categories we put. Well, he's a good Christian. He's a really good Christian. He's a great Christian. Well, you know, he's not such a great Christian. Where did that come from? It came from self-righteousness, the idea that we think somehow we're better than somebody else and we want to get, we want to know our pecking order in the kingdom. Guess what? In the kingdom, it's saints and ain'ts. Right? Love God, don't love God. I mean, it really comes, it's really simple. And if you love God, he says, then act like it. Now watch what happens. The secret place of his presence opens up new avenues of his power. Exodus 33, 21, and the Lord said, here is a place by me. Did you know God has a place by you? He says, come over here. I've got a place for you. I've got a place for you. God loves places. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. But he says, I've got a place for you here by me and you shall stand on the rock. I want you to be in a stable place. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to teeter in your faith. I want you to be stable in your faith. And you can only be stable in your faith when you're on a rock by me. Are you with me on this? All right, now watch this. Watch what's happening. So it shall be while my glory passes by. When, they, when Jesus came, they said, show us the Father, it'll be enough. He said, if I've been with you so long and you don't know me, he who has seen me has seen the Father, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth, and I want you to know I, you're going to stand on the rock of your salvation. You're going to stand on Jesus. He's going to be the one, and when the glory passes by, you're not going to be swayed off your feet because you're going to be overwhelmed in the presence of glory. Now look at this. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Now what a, did this happen literally? What happened here? Let's just, let's just say here's a rock. And he says, here's Moses. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to tuck you away in a little safe place. 
Because you see, you need to understand that in your birth, in your life, in your death, this rock is going to be critical for you. Because you see, it's when we understand our real life comes when, when we identify with Christ in the tomb, in the rock, that we come forth in life. And he covers us with the hand. He seals us in there like they're rolling the stone in front of it. Look, he says, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God accommodated himself. You know, there's a, two theological words. I, wanna, I like to take just a little break and give you a little theology here. The one word is Christophany. It's a big word. You don't hear it much. But it, it really means an early appearance of the Son of God in Scripture. For example, when Moses encountered one by the name of Melchizedek, he encountered the eternal son of God, early appearance, a Christophany. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, the king came down. He said, how many men did we throw? And they said, three. And he said, I see four, and the fourth is like the son of God. That's a Christophany. The other word that I want you to understand is, uh, is an anthropomorphism. That comes from two, two words we understand, anthropology, man, morphos, where we get our word form. And so it's when God appears in Scripture with a man-like form. In other words, the hand of God, the back of God. That's an anthropomorphism. It's God accommodating language to help us understand something about God, something about his presence. So God says your life is hid in the rock like resurrection. Your security is in the rock, like a house built on the rock. But remember, God himself is the rock. God's hand sealed the rock. In Psalm 18, it says, God is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God and my rock in whom I will take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my high tower. Psalm 62, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and the refuge is in God. God puts us in the rock so he can reveal the glory. You got to be in Christ to get the glory. You got to be by him to get the glory. When Paul was writing to uh, the Corinthians, he said this, now the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image of glory to glory just as it is from the Spirit of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that you avoid mirrors when you don't look good? Anybody like that? You know, I love those mirrors that make you thin. If they sold those at Bed Bath & Beyond, I would buy them. You know, I got the wrong mirrors at my house. They're the ones that make me look shorter and fatter. Do anybody have those mirrors? They install those for a reason. I don't know why. But, but, I, but then if you think you look good, you look for a mirror. There's something about mirrors. And I, you know, years ago I, I bought this uh, 1958 Porsche. I bought it for $2,500. And it wasn't in very good shape, and, and I had to restore it, and I took it all apart. And one of the things that came in handy was a mirror. And this is kind of a neat mirror because it kind of extends and you can see around a corner with it. This is actually the original selfie stick. Right? Why take a picture when you just look at yourself all day long? Just walk around this. Yeah, look at that. You're looking good. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Let me get that other angle. What is it about a mirror? The Bible says here that we are we're beholding a mirror the glory of the Lord. You see, when my identity is right, I look into the face of God and I go from glory to glory. 
when my identity is wrong, I don't want to look in the mirror. I don't want to look at the Lord. I feel, I feel shamed or guilt, and God never wants you to walk into shame or guilt. Sometimes I think we operate with this kind of a mirror in our life. We don't want to look into the glory, but we want to see what's going on. So we want to see what other people are doing, and we look around the corner, we look behind us, and we, we get it in every kind of angle because we want to kind of know about the glory, but we don't want to enter into the glory. This is a substitute. Substitute for what God wants to do. Let me, let me give you a couple of life applications here. I think they're going to be powerful for you. You can literally increase your capacity. You can literally increase your capacity for God as you seek his presence. I want you just to, to imagine that, that your, your heart is like a container that can expand. And that as you hunger and desire for, for God, that, that container, that heart of yours just begins to grow. But it starts with the goodness of God. So I, I, want you to ask you, I want to ask you this right now. Is there anything in your life that you're blaming God for? It could be anything from the way you look, the family you raised, were raised in, the challenges and difficulty you've had, you wondered why God didn't rescue out of those things. You, you find it hard to find the goodness of God. Maybe you were abused as a child and you go, how could God let that go on? You lost your job, how can God let that go on? You have a physical setback, how can God let that go on? Those kind of questions come from a foundation that God may not be good. And when your mind is divided, when you say God is good and God is not good, then you can't focus on God and his glory and his goodness to you. The first step is to really just say, God, I want to affirm that you're good and I do not hold you accountable for the bad, but you need to help me move through life and see the good, the goodness of God in it. Because I see the ugliness of what man did. I see the ugliness of shame and all those other things, but I, I, I'm having trouble with the goodness of God right now. See, God pulls us into his goodness to love us. If you will simply let God love you, you may never get an explanation of what happened in your past, it may never make sense. It won't have to if you simply let him love you. One day you may get an explanation. You may find you don't need one one day. But don't let that be a hindrance to what God wants to do. See, when you declare that God is good, what you do is you drive away the enemy. I'm just going to say God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. God is a good God. Devil is a bad devil. God is a good God. Devil is a bad devil. You've got to stay there. Declare that God is good. Declare that God is good. Would you stand with me right now? If we just bow our heads, I, I want you just...
out loud. I think there's something powerful when we say it versus just think it or meditate it. Would you just in your heart right now just declare that God is good? Just declare the goodness of God over your life. Don't ever be guilty of cursing the ground that you walk on. You do that by saying what's wrong with life, what's wrong with people, what's wrong with your job, what's wrong with your family, what's wrong with your wife, your kids, or whatever. Just declare that God is good. Take a moment right now and cleanse the ground that you walk on. God, I just want to cleanse the ground I walk on. I want to get away all the, all the bad out, of the, out off the ground that I walk on. Now I want you to cleanse the time that you live in. You're living in this moment in time. Would you cleanse this time so that it's unobstructed? You're not trying to pull memories from the past that were bad. But you're living in this time right now, and you cleanse the time that you live in right now. And now would you cleanse the place you stand on? Not just the ground you walk on, but you're in a place right now in your heart. Would you just let the Spirit of God begin to flow in and through you right now and drive out all the impurities, all the darkness, and say, God is good. Just say it with me right now. God is good. God is good, and his mercies endure forever. Say, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Okay, as, as the musicians sing... I want you just to, uh, to take a moment right now and just affirm the goodness of God. And I want you to call on him. If you've never called on him in salvation, would you call on him right now? You see, if you stood before God right now and he said, why should I let you into my kingdom, what would you say? The only legitimate answer is that I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith, I receive that. You pray a prayer like this one, dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died, buried, and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith, I trust you now for my salvation. God, you hid me away for a while, but now, God, you're bringing me forth. You're bringing me forth by your goodness into your glory. And I receive that in Jesus' name. I know there's just something cleansing about just kind of movement of people and the gathering of people. I'm going to ask you, we want to pray with you. I'm just going to ask you to slip out from where you're standing right now. Come to the front and let us, let us gather together and just pray over one another and just minister goodness to one another and receive the goodness of God. Just come even as we're singing now. Just come and just stand here, gather, just get in tight, get close to one another. Feel the goodness of one another. Remember, every person here reflects a part of the goodness of God and the image of God. They're essential for your spiritual well-being. Essential. Now, before we sing, I want you just to listen to a story about the goodness of God. I got this from one of our staff members here. Yesterday, we had lunch with longtime friends, staff in Jill Fieldhouse. We met at their church where they showed us the beautiful prayer wall. We had no idea that they put a prayer request on the wall for our daughter, Hannah, right after she was diagnosed with stage three cancer 20 months ago. It was an amazing experience to stand there and take it all in. I was struck with by how many requests there were and the sheer spiritual power that this wall represented. 
I was also deeply moved that our devoted friends and their church family committed themselves in this way to Hannah's healing. My deepest gratitude goes out today and to every person who held us up in prayer, meditation, thoughts, words, and deeds. All of it mattered then, and it still matters. Thank you, God. She's now cancer-free. Hannah has since gotten married and is currently completing her last year in nursing school. That's the goodness of God. I was on the phone with someone this week, and they, I was telling about the miracles. I said, it's like weekly we have someone healed in this church. And he, he said, and I talked about the TBN special that we just did. He said, what are you going to do when that airs if 4,000 people show up one Sunday with cancer? And I said, honestly, I hadn't even thought about it. You know what that means? It means we need you and you and you to minister to people. That's where you come in. So you know one person can minister to 4,000 people. We can't minister, one person can't minister to 40 people. But what if God is calling you to minister? You've received the grace, you understand the goodness, every one of you. Think about that. Think about the impact this church could have if this became a center where people were healed on a regular basis, saved, revived, renewed, restored in the kingdom, where this became a global center of prayer and healing for the world. Let's just, let's just sing this down. Just let the Spirit of God minister over to us for just a minute, okay? Then we're going to pray for you. thank you for every face. <laughs> God, every face that's a reflection of your face. I'm looking over here and see 
Peter, Peter, raise your hand, would you? This is the guy we talked about last week, came to faith in Christ. Came, diagnosed with what looked like colon cancer, got, doctor gave him a complete bill of health last week. Rejoice in the Lord, amen. Amen. See, when we enter into the glory of God, things change. Things change. Every life changes. Every life changes. You know, I just want to bless you right now, and then I want us to go out with this song. Will, thank you for being here today, brother. Thank our band and our team. I mean, just awesome, great. But I want to, I want to pray over you right now for, for an enlarged heart spiritually. Okay? Make sure you get that in there. Once you're going out of here, say, I don't know what happened. I came in there for healing. I prayed for an enlarged heart. Now my heart's bad. No, we want a spiritual heart. Amen? All right, we've got to pray. We've got to be specific. Someone said when Jesus said to Lazarus when he was dead, he said, Lazarus, come forth. said uh, if he didn't say Lazarus, he would have had the, the entire cemetery emptied. Amen? So be specific in your prayers. Amen? All right, God, I just want to pray for an enlarged spiritual heart in everyone here. I want to pray for the cleansing power of Jesus that flows through the hearts of men and women, transform them into the image of the living God. Father, we are sons and daughters of the King. We're a royal diadem in the hand of our God. And there is nothing you have withheld from us, Father. Your eyes go to and fro across the earth that you may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Give Jesus your heart completely right now, would you? Just, here's my heart. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness. All right, let's sing this song as we go out today. Amen. To your glory will never be the same. Will never be the same. You take, you take us higher, higher. We're forever changed, we're forever changed. We go, we go glory to glory to glory. Never be the same, no, no, we'll never be the same. You take, you take. Don't forget when you go out today, pray over the wall, put a prayer request in there, see what God can do. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Bring some with you next week. God bless.